In Black and White is brought to you by subscribers of The Herald Sun. Our subscribers get access to the full Herald Sun website, including companion articles to this podcast, digital versions of the newspaper and much more. If that's something that interests you, go to heraldsun.com.au slash subscribe for more information. Alice just said, right, show me where this person is. There were about five drunk men and one very injured with um, his throat had been cut more or less from ear to ear with a broken beer bottle. And yeah, she just uh, got the four other men to hold this man down and she sewed up his neck. There was a terrible disaster at the back of the garage, but it wasn't the guns that she was cleaning. It was actually her own revolver. And therein lies a huge mystery, which I took a long time to sort out. I'm Jen Kelly, and this is In Black and White, a podcast about some of Victoria's forgotten characters. In this episode, we take you back more than a century ago to the story of Alice Anderson, a trailblazing motoring entrepreneur in the early days of automobiles. In the early 1900s, the arrival of the automobile revolutionised Melbourne's streets. Yet the world of motoring remained a fiercely male-dominated industry. Some men publicly raised doubts about a woman's ability to even drive, let alone understand how an engine works, and female mechanics were unheard of. Yet somehow a daring young woman called Alice Anderson defied the odds and became famous nationwide as a motoring pioneer, a trailblazing mechanic, entrepreneur, adventurer and the owner of Australia's first all-girl garage. It was known as Miss Anderson's Motor Service and located in Cotham Road, Kew. Alice had learnt a lot about motoring from her father, JT, a brilliant engineer. He had taught engineering at the University of Melbourne to a young John Monash, who went on to become one of our most outstanding commanders in World War I. The two men became close friends and ran a business together, Monash and Anderson, when Alice was little. But while John Monash went on to earn a place in the nation's folklore, Alice Anderson's dad became a failed businessman, with one crackpot scheme after another, leaving the family all but destitute. Alice Anderson's story has been told in full for the first time in a new book by Melbourne author Loretta Smith called A Spanner in the Works. It traces her life from her impoverished childhood growing up a tomboy in a rough shack in the Victorian bush to her mysterious death at age 29 from a gunshot wound to the forehead. She was born in 1897 when cars first appeared on the road, so she kind of grew up with cars being introduced and she always wanted to go fast. So if it wasn't a horse or a bicycle in her early youth, it was getting into cars later on. And her father, actually one of the many businesses he started up, and this one actually succeeded because of Alice, was the Blackspur Motor Service, which was a transport cooperative he set up in Healesville in the Yarra Valley, where things were just changing over from horse and cart to motorised services. So there were the giant buses that came in 
this is around 1915, called Sharabanks, the motorised versions. And Alice had studied bookkeeping at school and so she became the secretary of the motor garage but she was far more interested in what was happening next door where the mechanics and drivers were tinkering with the the cars and keeping them on the road and she begged them to learn how to drive through them and uh, she eventually wore them down and they agreed. After learning the ropes of the motoring business from her father, Alice Anderson overcame one barrier after another to start her own all-girl garage in Kew. It prospered during World War I and the Roaring Twenties and the garage offered more than simply mechanical services. They were driving instructors, they were chauffeurs, they were tour operators, and it it ran as a normal garage pretty much in the day that did offer all those services, including petrol sales and, uh, yeah, getting your car fixed, just about everything, really. And what did they wear? Did they have a uniform? They absolutely did have a uniform because Alice knew that she had to outdo the men, really, and so... They were very neat in uniform, uh, in a chauffeur uniform that I suspect she designed. And her sister, who was into dressmaking, may well have made, I don't know for sure, but they had the the chauffeur caps, they had the shirt and tie, they had the the long coat and the breeches and the the boots. And they looked a little bit like a cross between a World War I soldier and and a horsewoman. And was it successful as a garage? It was very successful in its day because it was a real novelty and was very much supported by the press at the time. They were all young and enthusiastic and very good at what they did because they were all apprenticed by Alice and they were all trained by her. She actually had to work very hard to find a mechanic that would apprentice her to learn mechanics because that was the only way she could learn. The men generally went to the Working Man's College, which is now RMIT. So she didn't give up. She waited until she found someone that gave in and said, look, we'll take you on. And she ended up being this gentleman's best student. And so once she had those skills, she was able to pass them on to her garage girls because she decided very early on she would make it an all-women enterprise. And why did she do that? Why were only girls or women allowed to work there? Was this a, a feminist act? Look, it's it's very hard to gauge feminism today as it was then and whether Alice was a feminist or not is, is a bit of a question and I do, appre- I do address that in the book. But I guess in most ways she was in that she wanted to give young women an opportunity to, for independence and she believed that this was a very suitable career for, for young women. And so she was very happy to have men as clients, but she advertised very early on that it would be an all-women enterprise. I'm interested to hear more about her background and, and how she ended up as the type of person who would run this type of business. So I understand that she grew up in the bush in Victoria and she was quite the tomboy. In fact, she became the handyman of the household. Yes, yeah. So particularly when her brother, her older brother left to go on to work and study, she was the, the, the one there. She had an older sister, but the older sister was really belonged inside with the mother as as elder sisters did in those days, the firstborn daughter. So her sister Frankie did all the inside work and she did all the outside work and they really, even though they were an upper middle class family, because JT wasn't good at managing money and he had a lot of failed businesses, he was a real Walter Mitty type, he was a real dreamer. So they were either, they went from riches to rags a few times and so they were living in their summer cottage in country Narbathong in the Yarra Valley, Yarra Valley and they um, 
Yeah, so they, they had a few uh, cows, they grew their own food, uh, she had to mend fences, um, often she would um, shoot rabbits for the dinner table, um, go fishing, she became a very good horse rider. And she actually loved living in the country, whereas the older sister, who was more used to the the nannies and the governesses and uh, the cook and the boy for the garden, which is the way the family was in the early days, didn't didn't like it as much. Okay. And there's a particularly interesting anecdote in the book from when she was 15 that I think tells us a lot about her character. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. She was she was very intelligent, precocious. She had a lot of initiative even from a very young age. So she was um, about 15 years old and it was around 1912 and it was late at night and it was pouring with rain and it was cold, very dark and there was a crazy knock on the door. A very drunk woodcutter because there were a lot of woodcutters at the time they were you know they were surrounded by forest came to the door and Alice opened the door and this man was clearly drunk and he asked to use the phone to ring a doctor because one of his mates was badly injured and uh, the phone they had not long installed a phone because we're talking 1912 here so not many people had a phone even if you were isolated and it would have taken ages for the doctor to come anyway but the phone was out of order and so Alice just said right show me where this person is and so she just got Winnie her horse and her younger sister who always did everything with her jumped on the back and they were taken to this cabin in the woods where there were about five drunk and one very injured with um, his throat had been cut more or less from ear to ear with a broken beer bottle. And so Alice just was very practical and she told her sister to boil up the billy and to pull um, a a piece of uh, hair from the horse's tail. She asked one of the men if they had a needle, which they happened to have. I suppose you just had to be very uh, independent and practical in those days because the shack was barely a roof over their heads. And yeah, she just uh, got the the four other men to hold this man down and she sewed up his neck. With horse hair? With horse hair, yes. And he went to the doctor the next day and the doctor said that she'd done quite a good job. I mean, he wouldn't have lived if it wasn't for Alice. Incredible. And that Inventive Street continued on later when she ran the garage. Mm. She actually came up with a couple of inventions herself. News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winger? <laughs> <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. <laughs> Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from which is not surprising given her father was an engineer. Mm. Can you tell us about those, starting with the Rady Waiter? Yes, the Rady Waiter was something that I only have read a description of, so we don't know exactly what it looked like, but she designed this thing that was attached between the radiator and the engine that actually held a hot drink that was that was kept hot because of the engine. And so because when she took people on picnics, I, I guess they pulled up and then they had a, you know, a lovely hot um, drink to have that would come out of a tap at the end. So it, it, it didn't actually succeed as a, as a thing. I'm not sure why. Maybe, maybe it smelled a bit of petrol or something. Perhaps. <laughs> and, of course, she was responsible for another invention that most people would recognise even today. Can you tell yes, us about that yes. one? Yes, yes. Um, it's a bit of a sad story, really, because she invented this thing she called the 
Get Out and Get Under that was probably uh, based on a song of the same name uh, uh, of that era. And uh, she designed it and it was, yeah, it was it was a trolley on caster wheels that you lay on and rolled under the car to fix the car if you didn't have a hoist. And so she actually designed one made out of wood and it had a leather head on it and it actually folded in half because her idea was it was particularly for women that were out on the road and if their car broke down, they could pull this out of the car and get under the car without getting their clothes dirty because, of course, in those days there weren't garages at every corner. Uh, you just had to be a couple of uh, kilometres out of the CBD and you were virtually in the country. And so anyone that drove a car had to really know how to do basic maintenance on it. And she, of course, used that in his garage as well. And one day um, early on... Uh, American businessman walked into the garage and actually saw her using this thing and quietly walked away, went back to the States and um, stole the idea and promoted it as the creeper and made a lot of money because she hadn't painted it worldwide, unfortunately. Mm, very unfortunate. Now, there's lots of, well, there's lots of famous names in this book. Yes. Um, I'm interested to hear the story about Robert Menzies. So she knew him at a time that he was a young lawyer and yes. he actually represented her. Yes, yes, he did. Um, her older sister ended up staying um, in one of the son's rooms of, of uh, his parents because uh, the others went to war and Robert Menzies was studying law at the time. And then when he graduated, um, Alice had missed horse riding. And so it was fairly early, early 1920s, when she and a friend hired a um, horse from a local riding school to went to go for a ride. But unfortunately, the friend who was riding with her wasn't terribly experienced with horses. And the horse got scared as they were going down Wellington Street in Kew. And as they headed towards the, the main street, um, the horse bolted and ran into a car and was fatally injured. Um, the, the friend was okay. Okay, very shaken. And so um, the the horse riding school owner took them to court. And so she, she naturally asked Robert Menzies, who was also now a client of the garage as well, Robert and Patty Menzies. And uh, yes, but he, being a young lawyer, full of himself and, you know, had dreams of bigger things, didn't think terribly much of uh, this case and didn't do a lot of homework. He didn't uh, question the health of the horse or any of those things. And uh, yeah, it was quite slack with the whole thing. And, and uh, Alice ended up losing and having to pay quite a lot of money. Okay. <laughs> and um, if we fast forward, one of the other things that uh, Alice Anderson is very renowned for is being an adventure and particularly a huge trip that she did to Central Australia in a baby Austin. Can you tell us about that yeah. trip in 1926? Yes, well, she'd been uh, working in the garage for nine years and this was strangely her idea of a holiday, which was an incredibly adventurous and exhausting thing. She was sponsored um, to do this trip because the baby Austin, the 1926 baby Austin, was the smallest car to come off a production line at the time and for it to do this trip, it was the first time something this small would go to Alice Springs on unmade roads through the desert 
with herself and her friend Jessie Webb, who was the first history professor at Melbourne University, and they planned to do a six-week round trip. And yes, they made it to Alice Springs in this baby Austin, absolutely covered in sacks. And, uh, you know, she she was uh, borrowed two guns from a friend of hers just to protect herself. But they actually did run out of water and food at one stage. Uh, there was a drought that had been going for 40 years. They, they were really at great risk. And so Alice had to shoot something for them to eat. And they were, relied on boar water that just dried their mouths out because it was like Epsom salts and it was only that they had various homesteads to go to where there were supplies left for them that they survived the trip. Okay and the trip didn't go exactly as planned it didn't become a round trip after all but they did make it to Alice Springs Mm. and then she came back to Melbourne where the business was going really well and she also had other big plans for the future didn't she? Yes yeah well she was very excited about the idea of aviation and uh, she was planning to get her pilot's license and she had dreams of teaching other women how to fly. Uh, She was just always thinking of new ideas I think Um, Uh, Yeah, so she was a very up, positive person and, yeah, she had lots of plans for the future. Okay. And then a short time after she returned, she needed to return these two guns that Mm. she had borrowed for the trip. Can you tell us about that night? Yes. Well, it was less than a week after she had returned and uh, she was cleaning the two guns in the back of the garage And there were two garage girls in the garage at the time as well and they understood that they needed to stay because Alice was going to the the couple that had lent them the guns for dinner. And uh, But uh, there was a terrible disaster at the back of the garage and she ended up dying of a gunshot wound to the head. But it wasn't the guns that she was cleaning. It was actually her own revolver. And therein lies a huge mystery, which I took a long time to sort out and had to do lots of interviews and really look at the inquest documents where there were lots of... Um, discrepancies in what people said. And what did the inquest find? They, they found that it was accidental shooting and uh, there was a strong implication that she'd accidentally shot herself and that she shouldn't have been, a young woman shouldn't have been playing around with guns. And uh, from there on, there was that constant rumour right up to the recent day that she had committed suicide because And it was committed suicide in those days because it was illegal to do that. And there were rumours that she, the business wasn't going so well. There were always there were rumours as well that uh, she was a lesbian and perhaps she had um, killed herself over over a love gone wrong. There were all sorts of rumours because the facts weren't there. Okay. Uh, so so now that you mentioned that she was never married, was there ever a significant relationship in her life? Uh, not that I could find. I did find a couple of love letters uh, that were probably not opened since they were taken from the garage after she died uh, because there is a collection um, of her older sisters, Frankie's, at the University of Melbourne Archives. And I think I may have been the first person to go through those uncatalogued archives um, looking for Alice Anderson rather than for Frances Derham, who was uh, well known in her own right as an artist and an early childhood art specialist. So, and she had quite a successful career 
uh, as well. So, uh, yes, I mean, it's up to the reader to really look at those letters and um, poems, love poems, and see what they think of them. I can only surmise certain things. Um, Certain family members think that she wasn't a lesbian, that she dressed the way she did because of the work that she did. And, of course, there was a shortage of men uh, after World War One, But also I came across a lot of clients and garage girls that I know for a fact were lesbian and some of her best friends were lesbian. So, yeah, I mean, I can't say absolutely for sure, but I leave the reader to make up their own mind. The truth about how Alice Anderson really died has remained a mystery for 90 years. In her new book, Loretta Smith has painstakingly investigated the inquest documents, letters and family stories to unravel a web of false testimony, twisted recollections and outright lies from those closest to Alice. She concludes the fatal gunshot was not self-inflicted. While we won't spoil the ending, all is revealed in the book, including the likely identity of the young woman, someone Alice trusted, who accidentally fired the fatal shot while handling the gun. Loretta Smith believes there was a cover-up by Alice's family in order to protect the person responsible from public scrutiny. And that young woman was left with the terrible secret burden to carry for the rest of her long life. Thanks for listening. This has been In Black and White, a podcast about some of Victoria's forgotten characters. Written and hosted by me, Jen Kelly, and produced by Peter Fuller for The Herald Sun. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.